It's April the 13th. We are looking out our bedroom window. It's very sunny. There's lots of birds. Smokestacks from the incineration plant in Rings End are burning away. But all is quiet in Dublin town. Today, coronavirus numbers hit over 10,600 cases and 365 deaths. So our heart goes out to all those people both here in Ireland and around the world who have lost their lives to this bastard of a thing that has changed humanity. The dawn is with me as ever. How are you, chicken licking? Asymptomatic. Asymptomatic, yes. Well, you, that, that suggests that you have it. <laughs> well, I could do that. Yeah, I mean, what else can I say? Apathetic. Ambivalent. No one's saying I'm ambivalent. I have some really fucking strong feelings. Again? Am I over it? Yeah. I don't it comes in waves. <laughs> it comes in waves. Like the, the you swing between right your look, Netflix and snacks. Is it right? I and I will say one thing I'm learning as the weeks go on is that there are very very few people I have any interest in being anything but socially distant with. So <laughs> why is that? I can be critical of people at the best of times. Just the general behavior, like when people are really bored and. Much like me, they, they suddenly think people give a shit what they think and they get on Facebook and Twitter. And I knew there was something wrong with them, but I didn't quite know what was wrong with them. Now I fucking know. <laughs> Just, it shouldn't be so hard. And then I look, I look at all the people I encounter online and I go, no, I, I find it hard to be quarantined with you. You're an and, awful lot more social media adept than I am. What's the sort of vibe you're getting from your Facebook group? Well, I am or... and I am not because you'll notice I only really do Facebook. I have a Twitter and sometimes I use it to abuse the Iona Institute like I'd be a normal person, but I don't really do the Twitter unless something mm. big is breaking. Not What's on the, the general vibe? I mean, I have a particular cohort of people that are going to be left-leaning women between the ages of 30 and 60. Actually, that's men as well. But there's a huge cohort of that and uh, group thinkers. no one's clicking into my Facebook page going oh look they have a new one so I'm like if you did and if you did actually find this link on my Facebook page I wasn't talking about you (laughs) because the rest rest of the group didn't within the group thing there's an awful lot of really nice people who would generally just try not to be ourselves and kind of go okay I think I should be a bit lefty I think I should care about poor people racism that's not good let's not do that so kind of the best ordinary people of society so I joke when I say the group thing, but it is, there is a group thing to thinking, okay, I'm not an expert, but I've kind of listened to what people say and I'd like to be decent. I'd like to, like things like racism, the poor, like just general yeah. worldview. But that does, that does involve a bit of a group think. So the general thing seems to be a little bit of virtue signaling. And by a little bit, bit I mean a lot. Um, but define what you mean by that. The odd one that puts up all the fucking pictures of the homeschooling shit and the crap I'm that she baked. better than you, you are, yeah. Yeah, you're doing the more perfect homeschool. homeschooling mom. <laughs> yes, yeah, so there's a bit of that, and then by week two, everybody catches on and it's like, listen, we're at the gym, we're doing our best. The kids are still alive. Has anybody <laughs> actually checked in on that fucking homeschooling app? Whatever one your your school is using, no, didn't actually like that teacher anyway. Bit of a dope. Sure, look, the kids are in to make a nice gin and tonic. So everyone got into that vibe by week two, and that was nice. And now you've got the fucking COVID Stasi. I saw a person and they didn't look like they were related. Excuse me, why do you know they're not from the same? Well, they were out for a walk and they're not from the same household. How do you know? Because one of them was of colour. 
<gasps> you can't say that. And so it's quite entertaining to watch. <laughs> They're wrapping themselves in knots trying to criticise one another. And I do think, like, look, we've had ourselves that have, nobody admits it online. You know, they've been pissing off to this place and that place. Well, okay, before lockdown, where when people could still get pack into parks and even during lockdown, when people could all piss off to their holiday homes. People weren't shouting about it online. It wouldn't go down well. And fair enough, ass or anything to do. But I also think there's an awful lot of people who just haven't considered thinking outside the box. Like yeah. the rules and restrictions are there for a reason, but there's no one one size fits all approach. Yeah. There are people with extra needs that, and I know that that's been covered, but the world and his wife and Patricia behind her net curtains has decided, oh, they're going here and they're going there. Like, really, you have no idea what's going on in people's lives. You have no idea. There are people who are seem completely well and they're on injections every day that they can't take by themselves. And it's not a nurse that comes to their house. It might be an adult child that has been looking after them since they had cancer and you didn't fucking know they had cancer mm. because you're a nosy bitch and they didn't want you to know. Yeah. There's an awful lot of people like that. There's people with extra mental health needs. There's a whole lot of reasons why people are doing certain things. I have a few friends that have been meeting up but they decide they don't they don't have any family. They live alone and they had chosen one friend from the start and said, Listen, we're gonna buddy up and we're gonna do our walks and shit. I'm not gonna ring anybody else because this is probably gonna tighten into lockdown. It's gonna go on for a while. And th- those people would be going on a little holiday, like to the fun factory if they didn't. So they're making the most responsible choice they possibly can while bending the rules and not shouting about it. So I've not a huge amount of time for the COVID Stasi. And a lot of them they're doing that clapping. Yeah, we did the clap. But I'm seeing far too many videos of little Johnny had his fifth birthday party and he was just devastated because he couldn't get the bouncing castle. So we asked everyone on the street to all come out to their front gardens. And you're like, grand, you're a metre apart. But there's like 70 of you on the cul-de-sac. Hoeing on And you're giving out fucking yards about that one person who maybe met their friend from four kilometres away and went for a walk. But they were like... The antidepressants aren't working out. They can't see their therapist. They're kind of going, I'm going to have a meltdown. They're at home all the time with the kids. Mm. And they made that choice to keep them going. And they're not seeing anybody else. Fuck off. So I've been self-isolating for, I think, for... I was only out of the house for four days out of the last something like 30. I'd attended a Steve Martin and Martin Short concert in the Three Arena, which was the last concert, I think, probably held in Dublin. It wasn't very good, as those of you who know Steve Martin and Martin Short uh, could imagine. But it was packed and I came home from that and it was like now getting like, oh, you know, Cheltenham is going to be on and all this kind of stuff. So I stayed in and I've been in basically for in lockdown from partly due to what the Don's talking about, because the Don has a has a uh, lives with her mother who's older and has had some um, health complications and she has two kids. And so we had our own little barrier to the disease. And that's one of the reasons I didn't go out. I didn't even go out walking. But yesterday we went for a walk into town together because our our little armour has kind of broken down a little bit. Um, So we have to get back to sort of self-isolating now from this week. Uh, We went into the city centre of Dublin. It was biggest two streets in Dublin or O'Connell Street and uh, Grafton Street. Grafton Street, the main shopping street. And just desolate, wasn't it? Weird. It was like a nuclear bomb had gone off and killed all the people. Yeah. Yeah, it was... And of course, you know, the, the shit show that is the United States of America just keeps trundling on. One of the funniest things to watch on television these days is the Donald Trump daily coronavirus press conference where he comes on and like a pantomime villain just sits there talking about how tremendously, tremendously great everything is and how, how big ideas are being done and how there's no panic, there's no problem. And meanwhile, outside on the news, you know, one person is dying, I think now every 40 seconds in America and he's just 
you know, ignoring it. And it's just, it's fascinating. He has, remember we were talking about, um, in one of our earlier Corona podcasts about what would happen if only black people died. Yeah. Well, uh, shout out to Steve Bailey, one of our, our regular listeners who just uh, sent me in some of the detail on that. And, and, and yes, African-Americans are more susceptible to the virus. I haven't seen the data on that. I know you mentioned it to me briefly earlier on, but I, I have some recollection of hearing something in the past week. But I think it, was, it wasn't it was solid, but it, it was that it looked like, yeah. much like it, it looks like the type A blood types a couple of weeks ago. So I'll put a link to that. There's a, li- there's a link to that on the uh, on the blur of the podcast. But yeah, looking looking likely that certain, um, and you know, my blood type is one yeah. as well versus yours. So, you know, it'll be very interesting to see what else. Trump continues to just go on about the economy. My latest understanding is that we're probably four to six months, I'd say, probably in this at some level. I, mm. this, the schools may reopen. They might let it surf through the children and stuff like that. But I think we're going to be we're going to have to sort of hunker down for longer than we think, possibly the summer. And um, how's, how, how's that bit of it all? Uh, have you any? We, we had some tips the last time we were on. Have you any? I think it depends on what you're coping with. For a lot of people, it's the lack of routine, which people say, oh, yeah, it's difficult. Depends. And I think everybody needs to just have a bit more compassion and understand that not everybody is as robust as you. If if you're not somebody who has ever been in real danger mentally, Mm -hmm. you don't understand. Mm -hmm. It's not a case of, oh, some people feel things more than others. And it's hard on some people. Maybe just just be less selfish. No, the, the reality is, and it's very hard to, if you've never lived in somebody else's head, it's very hard to understand that. While they're pontificating about what everybody needs to do and all that, everyone needs to have a serious look themselves and consider that people around them are not robust. They're very easily scared. And and people who haven't had mental health issues are going to tumble into crisis and they don't know what, what, what to do with crisis. They're not used to that. You know, people are very quick to share the darkness into light walk and, you know, my my phone is always there. But... There are some people that are, have never hit crisis and they're going to hit crisis. And some of that is loneliness. People never really talk about loneliness. Mm-hmm. They, they talk about it when you're talking about elderly people. And that's a massive one now. But I think most people know what it's like to not be able to sit in their own company. But I don't think most people have experienced profound loneliness. That's going to have a massive impact on people. Well, what, Say, should, what, what should somebody do, if, A, if they are feeling like they're slippering into a black hole or people who maybe think one of their friends might be I think like the obvious thing is to reach out to your friends there's little things like that I think is probably causing FOMO at the moment is you see all this stuff online or on the 14 years about Zoom and Skype and this is how people are keeping together and that's great if you already had loads of friends Mm -hmm. and it was going great for you you're quarantined you go right okay Saturday night we're going to have the lads, instead of being at the beer garden, but we're all going to do Zoom and some of them are couples. That's all great. But the reality is there's an awful lot of people. If you just think of age 30 and you think, right, there's loads of people at that, you know, they're moved in with a girlfriend and you know, the gang can't get together. We're going to get together on Zoom. Yeah, deadly. There's an awful lot of people who don't have a solid friend group, who have friends who have to work really hard to get themselves out. Like I'm getting messages from people that I chat and I'd have banter with, but I don't really know that well and I wouldn't tend to have big conversations with. I'm getting private messages. I've gotten quite a few just from people saying hi and checking up. And I get the impression from some people that they don't know where the party's on and they're quite lonely. Mm. And so it has occurred to me to try and put some people in touch to like add them to Facebook groups that I think have people they'll end up getting bantery with. You know, if there's a particular 
a lot of single girls in one group of friends that I'd chat to and I find another one I kind of go I wonder could she do it joining the banter and then saying here listen are you coming on the zoom call I'm, I'm trying to do that to make connections for people that I think are a little bit on the outside I think if there's somebody you're worried about or you're concerned about yeah give them a message make the call because it might be an awkward chit chat and you couldn't really be asked but you know that might be the only chit chat they have and then there's things like direct provision, which is basically the uh, immigrants into this country who are being sort of held in hotels and institutions around the country. There's the homeless situation, which, you know, would have been and has been top of our agenda on many of our podcasts, which there's still a lot of people homeless out there. We met one yesterday on our walk who was in a pretty bad way, wasn't Oh, he? God, yeah. He was drenched. All his feet were wet and that. Like, I mean, and you feel terrible. Like, I mean, I... I tenor in my pocket and I gave it to him mm. and what do you say mind yourself like, and I remember thinking how the fuck is he supposed to mind himself so um, I mean I, I, it's hard to even do a, a podcast and that's in any way meaningful about it we're all in the same boat together we every single person in the world nearly you know every country in the world is affected every person in the world knows about it I mean you know there is the slightly cynical approach which is uh, we were talking about the other night which was people in Africa are probably some of the some of the worst affected countries in Africa for other things are probably going really really there's a, there's a flu is there well we still have malaria and we've got AIDS and we've got starvation to tackle before we get to that so I'm hoping that you know if we if one of the things that comes out of this is preparedness and having hospitals and having personal protection equipment let's make it a global thing let's make sure that hospitals in Lusaka and Dr. Congo and Malawi and places like this get proper medical equipment put in for the diseases that they're suffering from, which are also fucking lethal and very, very um, contagious. Of course, that's not going to be the, the upshot, is it? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I've talked about, about it to a couple of people saying it wouldn't it be great. I think I mentioned in the podcast if we put together in every country a small group of people who are intelligent, who uh, could just look at all of the lessons that we've learned and start looking at ways of applying them. Things like Spain are talking about universal basic income, which we touched on last time. And uh, that might be a thing that could, could come into other countries. The doors have been blown off capitalism right now and it'll have to come back. It'll come back as capitalism, but it might come back as a kind of a, 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 a capitalism, more of a social Sorry, I'm laughing because I and only only because I recorded this exact conversation on Ayla's podcast a couple of days ago. So yeah, from the gallery, check that out on Facebook. It's a ten-year-old girl's view of uh, the coronavirus. Yeah, so you have to edit it, but Sean hasn't actually heard it yet. So I'm, I'm interested to, to hear how close or where you will differ from my nine-year-old on your view of the death of capitalism, as she put it, uh, and universal basic income. Well, uh, there could e- there could equally be a good uh, case to be made for bringing a bunch of 10-year-olds together and putting them in a room and they might come up with a far better solution to the world's problems than the idiots who run us into this swamp have done. Yesterday was Easter Sunday. Boris Johnson resurrected himself from hospital, like the second coming, uh, second Dominic Cummings. Uh, um, and uh, funnily enough, was on television extolling quite rightly, the virtues of the NHS. But uh, the two nurses who cared for most, one was from uh, Portugal and one was from uh, New Zealand, in the Cagle. <laughs> so uh, those people will be kicked out of Britain, I think, uh, if uh, the majority of Brits who voted Brexit get I mean, their way. But um, God love them being looked after, two people coming over here taking our jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I know, exactly. You know, there's things like that that, I don't know, 
this borderless element of of Corona. I mean, I I will never live to see it, but I, I've always dreamt of a world federalism where it's the world and everyone happens just to live in a different part of the world. The world gets looked after by human being rather than by where you're from or continent you're from. Hundreds of years away, probably, but little things that can just sort of tip us. I love the tremor of fear that I know is going through a certain element of people listening to this, hearing you talk about globalisation. Yeah, but I mean, I, I mean a and different globalisation. No, I know, you know, yeah. I mean a kind of a, a I don't mean a globalisation just of selling and buying and, and, and yeah, greed and but consumption. But I, I think the people who, I mean, they'll wax lyrical about that element of globalisation, but I'm talking about the people who have co-opted the Irish flag here for the past while yes. and the, oh, there'll be no borders and, you know, so this, like, suddenly vamped up nationalism. I'm not into nationalism. Like, I... I, and I don't think you are. It's one of the, like, I'm no. proud to be Irish. I like my country. Mm. I like a lot of aspects of our culture. And I'm proud of some of the things that we've done and we've overcome. I'm proud of the empathy that we've shown in, mm. in how we've tackled things in the past couple of years. But not in a nationalist, close the no. borders kind of, we're Irish. And, no, I'm a person first. When you look at the upshot of this and you think, you know, I dream of it, but it's probably a long way away about globalisation. Mm. I go, yeah, but the other upshot could be people saying, well, now here's a very good reason why we will yeah. keep our clean little green island off in the Atlantic. And it's about keeping it safe. It's not about racism. We don't dislike other people, but we are a very quarantined country and look at what's happened. So mm. we're just looking after. And I'm like, yeah, but the people would be smug as fuck about that would be the arseholes. And I would fucking mm. hate, I would hate that mentality. Well, we're talking about neoliberal white people, by and large. Uh, oh, we're talking about scangers from some yeah, shit I, end of Blanchestown deciding that they're smart because they read some crap on Facebook. And now they're, if they go up with the likes of Peter Casey and Gemma O'Doherty, they make them feel clever by comparison. This is the this is the Donald Trump yeah. uh, approach to America. This is the Boris Johnson Brexit approach to Britain. It's about circling the wagons, looking after number one, looking after your own people first. In many ways, this virus shows how flawed that thinking is. Even if you are Make America Great Again, you're not allowing Mexican people come in or people come in through the Mexican borders. There's an argument that says that should be controlled better than it has been, but not the way Donald Trump is proposing mm. to do it, including part of his wall, which blew down onto the Mexican <laughs> side, which is quite funny. You you end up having this tiny particle that can come in anywhere. It can come in on a cruise ship. It can come in on a bird. It can come yeah, in, you know, God forbid also, that we get one that's airborne. Yeah, true. But I mean, like to me, the bigger concern is like, even if that works, and you kind of go, look, we're not being assholes, but let's look after our own. I don't really like those people, and I wouldn't consider them to be my tribe. I'm proud to be Irish, but I consider the people in direct provision to be my country men and women because they live here, and the the conditions they live in are appalling i mean i've seen things online this week of i mean it's no big fucking surprise that they're treated like not even like dogs and direct provision they're treated like shit I, they're, they're living their years they're raising their kids here like that's they've come here for whatever reason probably for safety new irish are irish people my own are not the fucking nationalist selfish fuckers that are like make ireland christian again like, fuck off so that scales up and down so on a macro level and you know the one thing i i know because I've, I've done work and studied i've studied books on the situation say in the continent of africa is that the, most of the countries in africa hate being called african they hate the idea of lumping uh, such a vast continent 
into one soundbite. But generally speaking, the world ignores Africa. Not totally. We do send, you know, famine relief and all that kind of stuff. But, but you know what I mean. We we don't consider Africa as, uh, and, and maybe 30, 40 years before that, we didn't really consider Asia or whatever. You know, it was there's a Western first world. There's a second world now, which is, your China's, Brazil's and stuff, and then there's, there's still third world countries. So in every country, there's a third world element. In Ireland, we have abject poverty. We have people who are not being looked after. We have homeless people. So it's it, it kind of scales, it's fractal. It scales up and down and you kind of go. Yeah, the African thing is also an interesting one because, yeah, okay, nobody likes it. I mean, they don't like to be known as just Africa. But yeah. also, people from Europe tend to rip the piss out of Americans saying, I went to Europe. Like, really, which part? Because was it Crumlin or was it Berlin? Like, mm-hmm. which one? Israel. But, yeah, but there's a... <laughs> I used to laugh and laugh at the Eurovision Song Contest. Yeah. Um, but yeah, with Africa, it's also like, those countries didn't exist. If you look at the fact that there are all of these individual tribes that were then shoved into countries, mm-hmm. and aside from the colonial aspect of them being robbed blind and treated like shit, there's also the fact that they were not countries. They were not nations. Mm. Like, that's an interesting thing to think about when you circle back to the discussion about who are your people mm. and closing borders. I find it really fucking interesting that the same people who are disgusted that we don't own this country in Africa and that country anymore. Like, the idea that the EU imposed this thing and there's the one currency and there's going to be an army, they're imposing their way on us. Like, the country getting most upset about that England and I'm not going to say Britain I'm going to say England mm. and they they'd be behind a civil war and they'd be behind despotic rulers and they'd be behind abuse of natural resources and money grabs and all that kind of stuff so I, I guess back to your like to the big questions can it I don't know you know my fervent hope is and, my, and I know it's giving us a line in the sand it's giving it the, the planet is handing us an etch-a-sketch to start again mm. whether we just draw the exact same bad picture of a a hundred dollar bill on it to use a really bad analogy or whether we draw something else on it that's going to be more poignant and meaningful and more modern way of going forward because we also have computers we have climate change we have a whole new way of working coming you know where Mm. they're predicting 300,000 truckers are not going to be out of work in the next 20 15 20 years in america and because of of driverless driverless cars and what i see happening is not either or I well, but I change my mind every day depending on how pessimistic I'm feeling on that day as well. Yeah. There's that. I do think that there's going to be a bit of an etch sketch, etch sketch moment or certainly people will all think that they're doing that. Everybody will pat themselves on the back and think they're looking at it from that point of view and say we, things have to change. This could happen again. What have we learned from this? There will probably be shouts of UBI but I mean UBI in the sense of what Americans mean when they say UBI which is not fucking UBI. Mm-hmm. So there'll be a bit of that for a couple of months it'll still come back to, do you think at a time when economies are recovering, they're really going to give a fuck about some hospital in Rwanda? I think the shiny bollocks of, oh, let's find a new way. We have to find a new ism. You know, it's the death of capitalism. Yeah, but I don't think it'll quite stretch into those corners. Yeah, but but, but you, find, you mean, you know, you find a new ism, the sound of one voice and you, like, are we either working towards it or are we not? Are we studying it? Are we putting in place robust thinking tanks that will actually say here's what we could do here's how it could work yeah but what i'm saying is money could be divvied out better i think i think i think a lot of people not i I suppose i look at this and i look at the irish government i could see the irish government and irish economists and that i could see them looking at it and really 
wholeheartedly thinking, let's find a new way, let's really... But I don't think they're going to look at the ugly underparts of doing actually work on themselves and deciding how intrinsically selfish are we. Mm. And to say, oh, we're going to find a better way and we're going to break down capitalism, we have to change things, is fine at a surface level. But if you're not going to break down the inherent privilege, the inherent selfishness, the lack of care, if you're not going to really dig deep into the human psyche Mm. and to the attitudes and biases that we have, rather than just the surface work of how the economic system works, then bit by bit, it's going to wander its way back to selfishness, Mm. capitalism under a different name. I I can see an awful lot of really educated white men, meaning well, and looking at the top layer of how we run a society and what what we're going to do differently and thinking that they're changing the world. But you're not, if you're not changing any, they're not going to do any deep work on themselves. Eventually, human nature will carry us back to patting ourselves on the back thinking oh we're very modern but actually we're not really giving a shit about people less well off we haven't really looked at the whole compassion thing mm-hmm. yeah i mean I, I think with every industry though you can see if you just pick at random an industry and you go into it like for example let's just take something that everyone kind of knows about you're not a big fan but I, i'm a big soccer fan okay and if you look at that industry that industry has become greedier and greedier and greedier as years go by. It has also become saturated with too much of the sport. Every time there's a live match on, there's ad breaks and there's advertising and there's people watching to the point where it becomes so uninteresting and meaningless. And now actually that we haven't had Premier League or whatever or any soccer for a month, I'm amazed at how I don't miss it. And I find, you know, or golf or tennis or... Now, sport is an important thing, but the sporting bodies could say, look, let's just cut it back. Let's just Mm. have less games that are more meaningful. Let's cut the number of teams in the Premier League so that we can give more money maybe down to lower teams. Let's cut the number of lower teams. Let's stop the Champions League flights all over Europe every week for 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 a preliminary tournament that actually is meaningless because all the top teams get through it anyway. You know, and let's make the sport much more kind of interesting and engaging. Let's not have so many fucking golf tournaments. Let's not have people flying around the world for sport all the time. So I'm just taking sport as a sort of a big. No, I can say that because I'm, 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 I'm not in sports. Um, what, like when I hear you saying that about it being saturated, and if it was brought back, I kind of go, well. Well, you know, it's saturated the, from the amount of times I watch it. <laughs> oh Jesus! I'm, <laughs> no, it's just that sound in the background, that mm. irritating sound. There are a few sounds I can't bear, especially when I'm at American football late night. Oh, I despise that one. Um, and then there's. Horse racing, I dislike the sound of, but if I get into it, I can cope with it. But mm. I dislike the sound of it because it reminds me of being like five or six and stopping to go to the bathroom in some pub and just smelly old men and <laughs> depression <laughs> and a smell of cabbage as well. Yeah. And so I, I hate that racing. sound. Yeah, <laughs> I hate the sound. Like the sound I, because I'm not into sports, I have to follow it if it's there to an extent Mm. otherwise the sound of it the sounds really kind of trigger up little childhood memories of it being on the background and oh look it's time for the Angelus and like I couldn't give a shout about football but everyone's going to watch if the Ireland is in the World Cup so there is that point of bringing a bit more soul into it where it's actually not just constant even in advertising I, I can I can see a far better way of running advertising accounts globally having less people in a room to do do the same thing faster and better and stop this constant talk fest and stop being so afraid because actually advertising in this grand scheme of things, the business that I worked in for so many years of my career just has shown up to be this 
outlying bullshit kind of business. Oh, it's a lot of shite. That the world doesn't need. And, I, I, you know, I've got lots of friends who go, oh, stop picking on advertising. Advertising people are great and we're such nice people oh, and we're really creative and we're really do. They're A, not creative anymore and they're B, not that nice and they're political little weasels. They're about a money grab. And that's the sort of business that you could look at and I, I could pick 10 people around the world who would sit on this thing and we could make it. I mean, the biggest ad agencies are looking like they may collapse one or two of them on this thing. And good luck to them, you know. And so they're just two businesses that I know. But then if you talk about engineering, building roads, hospitals, homelessness, housing, if, if people were just working intelligently to make small changes that could be reinstigated as soon as the, the switch was switched on. Schooling. Funny, because I was thinking with football and then you mentioned advertising as well. And I just kind of thought the biggest problem in my mind, in my life, the, big, yes. yeah, the biggest problem mm-hmm. in my mind with advertising is that there's just far too much money in it. There are some people who are like, they do their own little bits of art and whatever their medium is, but like they're kind of cool, they're kind of creative. But let's not fucking tell a lie. There are shitloads of people who are just too thick to do medicine and law and daddy knew someone in fucking advertising. Thick as shit and making too much money and they swan around like they're saving the world and you're looking at them going, you are fucking dense. Like, I don't know how you managed to cross the road. You're fucking dense. When you fuck money at idiots, this is what happens. It makes them more fucking awkward. The problem is idiots that know they're kind of know they're thick are bearable. But idiots who've decided that they're intelligent are fucking unbearable. Yeah, I was one of those idiots. But I mean, I think even at the time I knew I was one of those idiots. That's why I mean, they used to like, pay you one that's of the... That's why they used to pay me the big dollars. No, it's like, no but like, even when I was working in America and I was, you know, I climbed up the greasy pole reasonably far. <laughs> when you got there, you just look around and go, really, this is... I mean, that's why I stopped. This was my nirvana, getting up here. And you kind of look to yourself. Lots of people don't look at it. Lots of people go up and keep going. And I, I know friends who can't get out, can't leave, even though they've got enough money to make creases blush. I mean, it's... I don't know. There's no, let's be honest, there's no way I could ever have fucking lived your life. But if I had, you'd know damn well, it's like a fucking... Like, now, the difficulty would be like the temptation to hang on for another year and just like rake in a little bit more cash before having a big fucking strop, an almighty strop. I don't know how people go quietly into the night. What is it, late 50s, that they all start whinging about, oh, the work isn't there anymore, and there's young people who do it for cheaper. And what I love is the outrage, right? It's mm. <laughs> And it's not all of your friends. I know it some of your friends. Be- I know it is difficult, and I know they do get cast away. Yeah. But for some of them around the world, this look of absolute outrage on their face. No, I mean, my, I've, been out, I've been outraged since before outrage was a thing, giving out about the fact that the business used to be it used to have some level of the importance of standing out, the importance of being creative, the importance of making you smile, touching you in a way that you go, now you can say that that's a bit nefarious, which is fine, and it is, but is. at the moment, it's just put any old shit up there that you could do, that I could do, that your kids could do. I beg do your pardon, I paid. could not do that. No, that no, would shite. You know, I mean, and the, you know, I'm not here picking on average, I'm just talking about something that I know. I'm sure if we picked pumps and boilers or and I'm uh, picking on advertising people yeah well no even within within the advertising industry you meet people in lots of different businesses that you're you're dealing with okay so you meet you know I worked with Procter and Gamble who are one of the biggest marketeers in the world and you could apply similar rules with them you could say there's meetings that are full of 20 people who think they're important cut that down to three cut it down to two what do you do with the other people I don't know give them something better to do in the company than sitting in there deciding whether the word is fruity or juicy for their new fucking jelly that they're making. The amount of dumb brains that have been put to task is triple 
what's needed for something so insignificant. This whole idea that uh, give out to the person who bags the industry, that's done by people who don't know how to do it. That's done by stupid, uncreative people protecting their jobs. And by the way, I'm not saying that I'm a genius at advertising. I'm far from it, okay? I'm far from it. And I'm not saying everyone should be like me, but that's what people will read from this. I'm saying I want to be the thickest person in the ad agency amongst the thickest people. I want the agency to be full of people who are 10 times more creative than me, 10 times more uh, intelligent, smarter, curious, well-read, interesting. But you know what? Why would anyone like that want to work in the ad business? See, I know what you're saying. And I know the part of you, you you've kind of walked away. Like, it didn't throw you out of advertising. You've walked away and gone to the yeah, okay, I know, I was per- fairly un- un- unceremoniously kicked out of it, I'd say. Um, <laughs> I did you've spent your entire life doing I that. Did, I did walk away. I yeah, no, I think you. I, no, I think you're just like, yeah, fuck it. It suited you. Well, I would defend. The, that. I would defend the business to say that it ha- it was more focused at one point on the quality of the communications. That bit's gone now. So there was a time when you can say, you know, you you were studying oh, yeah, your, yeah. Your last year. You saw you saw ads from the seventies, eighties, yeah, no, nineties no, that genuinely. were far better than the shit that's out there. Yeah, today. it has gone to shite. Anyway, we're off point a bit. So, but anyway, the, the, the general point is that I, I think that within every industry, if you anyone who's listening to whatever industry you're in, you know, look at it, and I bet you, I bet you, you could come up with five ways where there's profligacy, where there's a need to change, where there's a need to be fair, like like across the board, the way workers are handled in a general sense. Smash the unions in the 1980s, Thatcher and Reagan. That has caused untold damage. Even though unions, lots of them were fucking run by gangsters and it was it was bad badly organized but now the worker has no one to fight for them we're on sing- zero hour uh, contracts we're on people you don't want the job fine there's someone in line yeah the zero hour contract thing is has been going on for a long time and the essential workers that we actually have the people stacking the shelves are the ones that in the past 10 years anyway have been treated the worst mm. apropos of the advertising discussion it's it's cast great light on who's essential and who's not essential and the huge imbalance of pay. You know, I used to be most of my life mortified for the amount of money people in advertising were paid. And I was very, I was kind of like, you looked in here, mate. But like, eventually your conscience will be at you the entire time going, how can I take home triple the pay of a, a nurse or quadruple the pay of a teacher? That's just an imbalance. And if you talk about unions, maybe the new union is that doesn't need to be Maybe the new union is companies start saying the most important thing is profit and people. The most important thing is that our people get looked after and we treat it like a family again and we handle it internally because the the nature of a union uh, employer relationship was always extremely hostile, right? It was all about who could get the best deal for who. What about if that went away? What about if it became, look, you know what? It's not about tripling profits every year. It's about increasing profits by 10-15% for the shareholders that's a good return on investment yeah. plough back the other profits into helping you know, people that attitude works in co-ops and nice small family businesses yeah. and stuff like that but unfortunately having people and profit be the driving force well it's often seen as one or the other and we see now like the there were COVID payments paid to certain small businesses and they're not passing them on yeah, and companies wanting to buy back stock with the bailouts. You know, so, you know, it's there. There will be small businesses, particularly like small family-run businesses, where they kind of they take in, or they're like a second son, and they go, "We're going to treat them really well, but they work really well for us, and we take seriously our business." But they're part of the family. You join the family when you join the company. You know, there are but there are examples like that. But not a whole lot of them. A whole lot of them. It's a case of 
profit or people, which one are we going to put first? Because they're in conflict for an awful lot of people based on their business model, and that's not going to magically change. Mm. And then, and then the other element overriding all of this is that we we have, I think most people agree with this, a climate problem that we need to solve, and here we are with a version of that front and center in front of everybody right now and those two things need to come together mm. we need to use the shutdown the sheer explosion that's gone up in, in in the entire world to put ourselves back together in a way that accounts for the problem that we need to remove this is a great argument for that because i mean the number one thing is kind of going well yeah we can't shut down the whole of the economy like come on but we've seen now is actually we can if it's an emergency we just have to feel like it's urgent enough so that should be a good argument but I do think that what's actually going to happen is, you know, people are going to be under more pressure. Economies are going to be under more pressure. People will care less because we're only able to hold so many priorities in our head. It's a bit like when somebody earning 80 grand a year from an upper middle class neighborhood in his hybrid car and cycles to work sometimes and says, oh, we have what's the solar windows and panels on the roof. And, you know, we only use all the organic stuff and we go to the farmer's market all the time. And when they pontificate to a single mother with four children who's trying to top up the gas card, she doesn't give a flying fuck about organic vegetables. Her priorities are different. And that's not me nay saying, oh, the tree hugger is trying to save the planet. I mean, we all live on the planet. They're not wrong. But you have to understand that people's priorities are based on need. And if people are in extreme poverty, their priority is never going to be. Like homeless people don't care. They're not, they're not worried about, is the cup recyclable? They're worrying about, can I get enough money in to get a hostel tonight? So I think after this, it's a fantastic argument for that. Yes, we can close down economies if the world needs it. This is what an apocalypse feels like. This is our warning from the planet. What do we do about it? But I don't think necessarily everyone's going to see it that way. And you can't blame them because there's going to be people who don't know if they're going to be able to pay their mortgage and maybe they can't. There's going to be people whose jobs are fucked. They've probably had a really rough time of it. Maybe they've lost family members. They're not thinking about the fucking planet. Like the, the planet thing needs to happen at the top not the bottom yeah i do think it needs uh, to happen at the top for that reason and i think that that in terms of priorities you can understand why this time next year i'd understand if an awful lot of people who are trying their best and taking it seriously if it got knocked right down in terms of priorities for them i I guess the point is that across the board and i hear you it's not about saying recycle your egg cartons it's about saying stop pumping fucking effluent into the Lake Erie or wherever it is and poisoning half the population of Detroit while you're at it. I mean, it's just, I've got those, I've got those lakes wrong, sorry. Yeah, everyone needs to do it because the, the problem with climate change is everybody's pointing fingers at somebody else. So the airlines go, we're only 5%. What about the shipping industry? That's 12%. And we go, well, the shipping industry are carrying cars. Well, why are they carrying cars? And then the other companies that we, I just said and the advertising company, you know, the, the um, economic uh, and uh, social powers of the Don and Shawnee B are hardly going to crack it. But we can be little voices in the tsunami saying, hey, what about if, what about if? We won't be, though. We'll just be in the back throwing peanuts from the gallery. <laughs> peanuts from the gallery. We talked about the resurrection. It was it was Easter Sunday yesterday and no sign of God to fix this anyway. All the pastors in America who are making hundreds of millions, no, nothing from them. The Pope sent his thoughts and prayers and very big. bowed prostrations in an empty St. Peter's. Well, you know, you're going to get the people to go, oh, this is a sign from God that, you know, he's punishing us. because." Oh, well, no, there was the rabbi in Israel who said it was a sign from God was a punishment because of homosexuality. And then he got it. <laughs> oh. uh, right. This uh, 
show is also about the Don's top 20 countdown episodes of A Pint with Shawnee B. The last episode was dedicated to Pete Dunn, the artist who died again. PeteDunn.net is where you can find his amazing art and buy some of it. He'll be missed and I'm sure he's laughing at us up there somewhere. So this is episode 151 and it is number 14 in the Don's top 20 countdown. As usual, she asked me three questions to see if I can remember the person that she has in her mind. We have no collusion on this. I don't know who she's picked. And what's your first question today? Right, I've gone with three quotes. First quote, something in me was driving me to find whatever it was I was supposed to do with my life. For God's sake, that's probably nearly everyone. I know, yeah. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to just pass on that. Grand so. The world is a school. It's a series of tests and it's, so it's not all for naught if you understand the function. I'm here for a reason and I'm here to experience this world and grow my eternal being and everything that comes at me, whether it's money problems or relationship problems, is an opportunity for me to grow. Hmm. So that sounds like somebody who's... Is it a sort of self-help kind of thing? Matthew? No. Okay, last question. On consciousness, conditioning is like the gunk on the windscreen of your car. Ooh, I know this one. This is Dave Richardson. It is. Yeah, Dave is a good guy. Uh, That was a long time ago. And he comes out of it in two areas. One, mindfulness. And, you know, he was was all over this way before mindfulness, which is the big new thing now. He he has a a famous teacher that he talks about who... uh, from whom he got this training, and he, he's also a big advocate for the whole race problem in America. And uh, so, yeah, just a really kind guy who means well, and I really enjoyed our, our chat. And yeah, it's just nice having people like him out there. You know, a lot of people like him get slagged off for being too, you know, come by or whatever. And he's he, he's not that. He's he's trying to apply it, I think, to everyday living. And as I said his thinking has come front and centre. Now, what, what did you yeah. like about it? I picked it because, yeah, as you said, I know that the Kumbaya thing, and I have kind of a low tolerance for that kind of box. I really <laughs> do. So when someone starts talking about mindfulness or consciousness, and yeah, I kind of go, right, right, I'm interested. And I can't decide whether I'm going to love the conversation or whether I'm going to go, oh, for fuck's sake. And I have to say, I fell on the right side <laughs> with this. <laughs> so it's none of the, you know, the kind of, mind body and spirit shite like i'm sorry if that's your bag it's just not mine like there's a load of horse shit there no this was actually an intelligent conversation it was a look at philosophy there can be a lot of god smuggling in spirituality what i mean by that i don't mean the jesus smuggling but it's still you know you get halfway through the conversation you think it's a great one and suddenly it gets all a bit airy fairy and there's like you know okay you've replaced jesus but you've got magical gods in the sky kind of shit it didn't go there for me I'm not sure I'd land where he lands in the view of the universe, but none of it felt, there's none of that shit. So if you're kind of wary of consciousness and that, it's an intelligent conversation. I thought it'd be useful at the moment. Uh, a lot of people are sitting at home. The mindfulness aspect, the you could be sitting at home with nobody intelligent to talk to. So um, it's, it's a conversation to toy with in your own head. And it's a good time to be looking at the meaning of life. I liked the fact that it kind of segued into um, Black Lives Matter and that kind of thing. I well, just, he told that great story about when he was, in, I think he was in Texas somewhere with his granny. He was in one of those Holiday Inn type hotels. He was going to get changed in, to go to the pool. And he went and got changed. And then he came out 10 minutes later and went to the pool area. And when he got there, there were nine cocks, uh, cocks, 
nine, Jesus, I'm sorry if you're a shovel stick. There were nine cocks in cop uniforms pointing guns at him. And he was nine. Talk about terrifying the fuck 11. out of a child. Eleven. He was eleven. Sorry. Um, but even still. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll uh, then. Get over it. No. And, and, and the name of the... I just looked it up here on my phone. The name of the, the institute is the Herm, Institute of Hermetic Philosophy. And there was a, a famous Chilean philosopher called Dario Salas Summer who set that up. And it's an educational program that believes in promoting the power of consciousness. So probably a good time to be listening to stuff like this and uh, looking deeper into some of the attitudes Dave has towards how we go about life. But no, none more so than in this time of lockdown. Thanks to Don for being on the show. We'll see you next time. Will you though? <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Without further ado... I'll give you a day, Richard. Welcome to another episode of A Pint with Shawnee B. Today, coming to you all the way from New York again. My guest today, a very bright guy by the name of Dave Richardson. Dave and I worked together in the city back in 2011. He's a pure supremo and still works in the public relations business. Today, we're not here to talk about that, though. We're here to talk about his other interest, which is in a school called the Institute of Hermetic Philosophy, a educational program that believes in the power and promoting the power of consciousness in society, something that is, we all know, sadly lacking these days. So something I don't know an awful lot about, and I was uh, really keen to find out all about it, and I think you'll find it's an enlightening conversation. So without further ado, I give you Dave Richardson. So welcome, Dave. Thank you. Good to be here. Let's start with the big news that you did when you left left public relations. Mm -hmm. I know you still work in PR. Mm -hmm. But you set this uh, school up. Tell me about mm-hmm. what, how you decided to do that, and mm-hmm. what it is. Well, it actually the school that existed before. You oh, know, okay. So it's, it's um, there's a teacher in Santiago, Chile. His name is Dario Salas Summer, uh, and he's the philosopher who founded the school about okay. 50 years ago. Ah. And I've been in the school for about 20 years in the New York okay. branch. School yeah. versus religion. Discuss. It, yeah, it's religion is more like dogma. Think about it like, a, like I'd say, a spiritual gym. Uh, a lot of us, if we talk about consciousness, right, I think we come to this planet and um, we're conditioned by almost everything around us from the instant we get here. Uh, you know, subconsciously by our parents telling us what to fear and what not to fear, yeah. by traumas, dogs, or anything that happens yeah, to us as a child, kids. the news, television shows, the whole Disney princess thing, obviously our business in yeah. advertising. We're the you worst know. offenders. Yeah, exactly. Uh, education. I mean, everything sort of gives us a point of view, and especially before we're seven, before we have any kind of volition, the stuff just gets embedded in us, yeah. in our, deep in our subconscious, and we really have no way to discern that after a while unless we really take a, a, a serious look at ourselves yeah. and really question all of our assumptions about life and unfortunately yeah. very few people do that it well, ends up I'm, being I'm, the, the water we swim in and you don't really notice it I'm glad we're having this conversation because I'm Irish and mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm also 40 something and mm-hmm. most 40 something Irish people I would say would agree with me that the most damage that has been caused to us has been the whole Catholicism yeah. and Ireland thing mm-hmm. Which is very hard to shake out yeah. from under because it's guilt-based. Yeah. And, and also lots of other things, yeah. of course, that happen with, with mm-hmm. uh, priests diddling with kids yeah. and all that. Uh, go back to this guy in Peru for a mm-hmm. second. Is he mm-hmm. some sort of guru kind of guy? Or? I wouldn't say guru. I mean, I'd call him philosopher. I mean, okay. it's Chile. Uh, Santiago, Chile. Chile, uh, sorry. No problem. Uh, and he is just a guy who uh, I would say, for one reason or another, just was a little more conscious right. earlier than, than a lot of us. 
and well, let's start written, with this. What, yeah. t- tell me what he and you guys mean by mm-hmm. conscious. Great. Um, if you think about all that conditioning I was telling you about, yeah. think about that as like the gunk on the windshield of your car. Okay. <laughs> you know? So it's like you can't really get a clear yeah. picture of yeah. the world, of life, of anything around you because you're looking through all these different things that mm-hmm. are filtering reality at the end yeah. of the day, whether that's the religion, whether that is you were told earlier on to fear black people, white people, Chinese people, whatever mm-hmm. it is, whether, you know, whatever happened, the traumas that happened, relationship issues that happened, yeah. all those things color the way in which you interpret reality. Right. Um, so when things are happening in the world, it's going through all those filters. Really, it's about cleaning out all that stuff that, that is between you and what's actually happening in the world. And unfortunately, because each person has his own gunk, it's usually one person communicating through his gunk, through your gunk, and then yeah. finally to you. And so communication, which is why we have such a hard time communicating, right? Which is yeah. why the world, we really what, what, what don't do you say to very often. What do you say to someone who doesn't really understand this and is about to find out mm-hmm. about it all, but who would say that isn't that gunk the reality? Uh, I would argue no. Okay. <laughs> you know, I would I would say that all those things are distortions of reality. Okay. So I, I what do you what do you see as the reality of life? Then? Mm-hmm. I think uh, deep in our essence, there's something that exists beyond all of that. And I think if you look at even existentialism, right? You know, the existentialist talked about getting beyond what um, Sartre called bad faith, Nietzsche calls it something else, but getting beyond all the sort of lies we tell ourselves. Mm. And they get to sort of an existentialist dilemma, right? They feel like there's nothing underneath that because it feels like a void, right? Once you get into all that. Now, what we say is, okay, past what feels like a void, there's actually something else. And a lot of people who do meditation or those types of things talk about feeling, once they get past the void and the emptiness, some kind of light something that's connected to everything. And and a lot of us have had these types of experiences, these, you know, higher consciousness experiences, whether mm. it's from a great instance of making love, whether sometimes you've done it, you know, in a in a drug experience, like some some experience. So is this, is like this anything to do with ayahuasca? Does that play a part in this? Or? Not in this. No, I would say okay. that some people can get to these peak experiences in different ways. Yeah. I mean, this ray really is through clearing out all the stuff that's between you and that. Right deeper experience of yeah. life and yeah. that deeper connection that we all share yeah. um, in a very natural way. So, we, you know, I don't do anything I used to a long time ago, but not in the course of this path. I don't really do any kind of... Yeah. No, I've never done it, but I followed um, Terrence uh, guy. McKenna. McKenna. McKenna, yeah. I followed yeah. some of his stuff and he went down yep. to South America and, yep. and like actually really... I think did it as a very bona fide mm-hmm. um, educational oh, yeah. thing uh, from oh, yeah. a professorial point of view and one of the things I was really interested in his studies, he came up with the with the stoned ape theory. Mm-hmm. But one of his uh, observations was that the guy who does ayahuasca or psilocybin mm-hmm. or whatever it is in New York mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. Wall Street mm-hmm. sees the same thing mm-hmm. because he was charting mm-hmm. what the images mm-hmm. were that a guy in the Amazon yep. jungle sees. Yeah, I can believe that. So there's this thought that mm-hmm. there's some secret in there that is otherworldly or something or that the human brain even if the right. brain has been maybe covered in right. gunk like right. a Wall Street guy right. um, keep talking to me about this reality well, what is the reality I, I think look I think just like we know uh, the electromagnetic spectrum although we can only see sort of the seven colors mm. is infinite right mm. we know there's you know infrared that we can't really see and there's ultraviolet that we can't really see and that that continues on and on Yeah. so I think that that isn't all things. So we perceive a certain narrow band of reality. 
at other frequencies, there's other types of reality. Yeah. So ayahuasca, in theory, probably tunes our brains or our, our sensory perception to other bands. Right. So it makes sense that people would see the same thing, just right. like you and I are attuned to the same band right now, see the same tables and chairs. Okay, so the educational experience is about clearing the gunk away. Mm -hmm. It's a nice analogy. You're then left with things like silence. Silence. Uh, you're uh, left with things like the basics of being a human being, which is being, being good being. to people and yep. stuff like that. Yeah, and, and a deep connection both to yourself, to inner peace, because you don't have all that trauma still, yeah. and to everybody and everything else. Because yeah. when you get to the essential part, I'll speak about myself, when I got to a more essential part to my, of myself, I felt much more connected with other human beings, yeah. um, with trees, plants, yeah. life. I mean, yeah. I think at the end of the day, the same thing animates all of us. Yeah. And if you can tap into that thing, it's like we're all in a sea of that stuff. Mm. But it's hard to feel that when you're worried about work and you yeah. know, all the things you get worried about and yeah. you get distracted in life. It's in the same bucket as yoga and it's in the of same course. bucket as meditation Everything and stuff like that. Yeah, after the same thing. This guy, you said, in Chile yeah. was in the was 50 years ago he set it up. Yep. And is he still around? He's still around, Okay, yeah. so tell yeah. me a little bit about his life. He, you know, he was brought up in a kind of prosperous family, an educational family in uh, Chile. Yeah. He always felt something was wrong in society yeah. uh, uh, and sort of always saw, felt like people were kind of play acting and, yeah. and felt like he... You know, saw through people yeah. in a sense, yeah. and over time, and he he sort of was able to connect with this work, which I think is yeah. a universal work. It's been passed down through generations. And, and what generations sort of philosophy? You call him a philosopher. Mm -hmm. What sort of philosophies does he like? What would be his his main three things that he would be sure. teaching? Well, I mean, a lot of it is self awareness. It's, at the end of the day, it comes down to you know really. Everything being like reflecting through yourself. So right. you know, understand that you're present here and that as I speak to you, I'm not just losing myself in what I'm saying to you and losing yeah. myself and projecting to the outside. I'm also monitoring my heart rate, right. my speech. I'm looking at, you know, am I trying to impress you? Am I accelerated? Or, you know, so it's self-knowledge yeah. at the end mm -hmm. of the day. When know thyself was on the top of the Temple of Delphi, it's sort of yeah. something that's sort of a known initiatic thing. And know yeah. thyself is a very deep concept the more you understand what it is. I agree. Yeah. I, I think that we, we don't study philosophy. A, a previous guest of mine, Glenn Condy, on this mm -hmm. show talks about living in France and how, you know, philosophy is on the curriculum of kids yeah, in France. I know. But here... On, and even in my what are you going to do countries. with that? Yeah, <laughs> so, huh? how do you spell it? But I get, I you know, another observation here is, and I know, I know, I know, it's very beneficial to people, mm -hmm. and I'm not knocking it. Mm -hmm. But nearly everywhere I look here, people have got you know psychiatrists mm -hmm. and psychologists on board, and they're seeing people and mm -hmm. they're trying to come to terms. I mean, is it fair to say there's more gunk? in this city than there is in practically any other in the there's, world. There's a lot of gunk here. I mean, I think everybody has their own gunk, yeah. but New York has a special kind of gunk. It does. <laughs> I mean, it's hard, right? There's so many people in this this society, I guess you call it, New York, but people feel so constricted in their little bubbles. Yeah. And it, it, to have so many different kinds of people, yeah. but have most people not really interact with people who aren't like them still yeah, where yeah. we're all packed together so tightly is an interesting phenomenon I, yeah. I see that a lot if you think about the subway in New York where again we're all packed tightly in this space but no one's looking each other in the no. eye 
and that's a very interesting kind of symbol for I mean self <laughs> uh, self awareness is is not a huge jump to selfishness or vanity or stuff like well, that so it can be to find the difference yeah so it's a, it's a great difference so Vanity, start using kind of terms, vanity really sits in the ego and the false self. Right. That's not your essential self. Yeah. That is really puffing yourself up with whether you have a lot of money or a lot of beauty. You're still okay. defining yourself from the outside. Okay. You're saying, because I have X, yeah. I'm smart, I'm beautiful, I'm, I have some attribute, therefore I am better than. Okay. Um, that, in a sense, is, is sort of right. ego, vanity, those types of things. But when you get to a deeper sense of self, you realize that those things are really meaningless in a sense. I mean, they're meaningful in, in a sense that well, they you, know, you need them, right? And, and to get in this sort of three-dimensional society, I, you know, I have a job. I have to spend money. i got to yeah. pay for my apartment. But in any way to define myself, that's, it's sort of a joke. It's like a cardboard cutout or a facsimile yeah. of, a, of a person rather yeah. than a real person. And when you realize that, you, all that stuff fades. And then yeah. you go, well, what's, what's left? You know, once I realize that defining myself from anything on the outside is um, false yeah what's really there yeah yeah and that's where the sort of existentialist dilemma happens right it's like yeah. oh my god who am I who am I who am I and then if you go deeper you find something that's that's more universal there was a theory going around uh, that apparently science is taking more credibly than whether or not there's a god mm-hmm. uh, which is that we may all be part of a video game yeah that. Which, is quite a, which is quite a nice <laughs> thought to think about but when you actually start thinking about that idea a couple of things come straight to your head mm-hmm. when you talk about this existential nihilist sort yeah. of thing. There's a huge nihilistic strength to this, yeah. which is that everything is for now, right? Yeah. If we're just a video game. And the idea, the, the concept has been talked about to the point where the reason we don't understand infinity is it's a bit like, you know, when when um, Truman in the Truman Show yeah, crashed like, into yeah, the yeah. In, into the horizon. Yeah. That, that's one just fa- the barrier. Favorite movies. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, Truman and, yeah. and 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 also before it, yeah. uh, Groundhog yeah. Day. Yeah. You know, have big the ideas Matrix, in them. Exactly. The Matrix. Yeah. But you have this thing where the reason we can't understand infinity is because it's the barrier of the, of the game. Mm-hmm. That's, it's just the program mm-hmm. ends. And all art is for nothing. All war is for mm-hmm. nothing. And I, I like to go around when I talk about this theory, saying, and anyone who talks about the theory dies. Yeah. So if I die in yeah. the next couple of days, just get this out. <laughs> How do you feel about that kind of, when you get down mm-hmm. to brass tacks, yep. meaning of life mm-hmm. can very quickly... Mm-hmm drive down that road right so uh, it's a fantastic question and I used to be uh, traumatized by that question (laughs) (laughs) so for me at this point because I do believe that like I said if you get back to the essence there is something essential there's an essential being there's a part there's a there's a particle of light stardust stardust whatever you want to call it that exists inside of each one of us and when you connect to that that connects us to, to, to the infinite, to the universe, yeah. um, at least in my comprehension of that right. and my experience. I also believe that we can grow that light. The more awareness we have, the more moments of this consciousness we have, that light can actually get brighter. The idea of, to talk about different you know, religions, I think religions were all you know, in, enlightened beings in the beginning, and then it's a game of telephone that just that got yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know it got bastardized yeah, over yeah. you know eons, and mm. then people started using it for the wrong reasons. But if you go back to like what the Buddha said, or what Jesus actually said, yeah. or what there's there's a lot of truth in those things. Yeah. And so if you think about those depictions of halos or glowing beings yeah. or, or a heart as, that's on yeah. fire, a lot of depictions of of light. Yes. And I do believe that this word enlightenment is an actual thing. that this little particle can get bigger and bigger and bigger Um, and that's part of the teaching of the school it's part of my own experience 
so we're here for that. You know, yeah. We're here actually to actually grow that light because just like if I talk about a spiritual gym, the Institute's sort of like a spiritual gym, just like in a gym, if there weren't weights, you couldn't get any stronger. So you need inertia. You need something pushing against you mm. to grow that light. I mean, so the world in essence is a school. It's a, it's a, it's a series Learning of tests. Yeah. And so it's not all for naught as long as you understand that function. Yeah. That if you actually think this is all you know, real, in, you know, in the Bill Hicks kind of way, I mean, yeah. if, you, if you don't yeah. understand this is kind of a ride, it's just a ride. or it's kind of a <laughs> test, yeah. Then, yeah, then you're running around you know, chasing your tail. Mm. But the minute you understand, okay, I'm here for a reason, and I'm here to experience this world and grow my eternal being, and everything that comes at me, whether it's you know money problems or relationship problems or whatever it is, is an opportunity for me to grow, an opportunity right. for me to understand more about myself, how I created this problem, yeah. you know, and how can I uncreate it? How can? But I, I mean, with, with that very laudable and ideology that's full of integrity, yeah. you know, we're in a we're in sludge right now. We're getting sludgier. Yep, absolutely. I mean, there's, I mean, I, yep. I, get, I get the fact well, that there are a few people here and there trying to. Are we really getting sludgier? So I, I see two things happening. Okay. I see, I see Donald Trump and a whole bunch of crazy crap going on. Mm-hmm. But I also see Oprah with a channel about spirituality that you never would have seen. I, and I never would be talking yeah. to my work, you know, people about my spiritual work. You know, twenty years ago, even ten years ago, like we didn't even talk about it much. You know, so it's it's the fact that we're able to talk about this. Um, I do believe there's a rise in global consciousness among some, and yeah. I also believe that the dark side is getting stronger. Yeah, and I think both things are happening. The enlightened or the intelligent amongst us do know that there. I think is even if there's nothing after life, which mm-hmm. was the reason religion was probably set up. There is within us some innate something that yeah. we don't know what it is yeah. yet. I, I've always is. said, do you believe in God? I go, yeah. yes, but no, but I think there's something we don't know yet. Right. I think there's something Stephen Hawking doesn't right. know yet. Absolutely. Absolutely. And until we get that, right. and maybe God appears, you know, right. Garabandal, he's meant to appear next right. year, folks, <laughs> on March the 17th mm-hmm. or something. Maybe something like that happens, yeah. and that rocks the whole world. Mm-hmm. But what was your what was your background, and where did mm-hmm. you end up getting to this point? So I grew up uh, suburbs of Baltimore, Maryland. Um, okay. I also, as a child, remember feeling different <laughs> and feeling not understanding right. why people were the way they were. I'd watch, you know, uh, single mom. My dad was around for the first seven years, but then you know right. left, and watching um, people. Go to work, come back, eat dinner, go to work, come back, eat dinner, and yeah. feeling like there had to be more to life. This this couldn't be all there was. Yeah. Were you working class or uh yeah, work my mom grew up she was my mom was a um teacher and my okay. dad left and then right. worked up through the ranks and became assistant superintendent. Okay. Uh so very working class, descendant of slaves, I mean black American yeah. uh on both sides. Mm. Um both my families were farmers, you know, after sort of slavery they kind of, you know, farmed and my dad was the first generation in college my mom was I think actually third generation college on her side which is very rare for Americans but uh, when I was 13 I uh, did okay on a standardized test and ended up getting a scholarship to uh, Andover uh, boarding school Um, and then from there I went on to, to Brown University and through all that I just was questioning everything. You know, I just, you know, I just started looking at, you know, what makes us tick and when. Mm. And so I ended up, I changed my major four times at Brown. Wow. Uh, started out in international relations, then economics, then English, and right. then philosophy. I ended up majoring okay. in philosophy. Right. 
and really got into existentialism and you know, yeah. there's certain you know Saturday nights instead of going out I would sit there and, and read Nietzsche and kind of <laughs> <laughs> go you know try, trying to figure out yeah. what, why we were the way we were yeah. my first job out of college was uh, on Wall Street actually back oh, in Baltimore really? but very you know high power job at a, at a mutual I fund okay. I hated it was it like Wolf of Wall Street uh, well at that time it was a mutual fund so it wasn't quite like okay. that I did trading which was much more like Wolf yeah, of Wall yeah, Street yeah, yeah. I had one day when I remember I had a corner office believe it or not and I looked over the Baltimore Harbor and I saw my reflection in these two windows Brilliant. and one was you know if I stayed in that life and I saw yeah. myself getting older in this crumpled suit yeah. and wealthy but not happy and the Clenched. other one, yeah, just I just felt like I, yeah. that future wasn't yeah. going to be a good future. Mm. And then I saw another one where I didn't know know what it was, but if yeah. I saw like that was supposed to be my path, and I needed to get back on my yeah. path. So I actually left uh, the job after six months, and my my mom and, and my dad they freaked out yeah. because you know they spent so much money to send me to these schools. I yeah. had this ideal job, and I went. Oh, off, you're a letdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I went yeah. back to Brown and and started studying theater. And wow. uh, so I that was the, way of the theater right. side of life. I didn't go back. I didn't have money to go back to school, but I uh, sat in all these classes. I had teachers who saw that I had fire in my eye and, mm. and passion, and they let me sit in for two years yeah. in classes. And I got a mentor who's no longer with us, but who was one of the teachers of the playwriting program and really mentored me. And I produced plays and wrote plays and acted and yeah. directed. And, must give you my one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I came to. New York and started a theater company and did that for three years here. I worked at the public theater and that was sort of my passion. And even right. that was about understanding the masks we're all living. Or, yeah. Because you know, theater is all about the mask, right? Yeah. And, and in, in the best drama, in sort of traditional drama, it was about, that's why the symbols are these masks, right? It's unmasking the mm. false to get to the real. Um, whatever is essential in human beings. And, and Goes right theater back, yeah. tends to do that through mm. crisis and catharsis, right? Um, so all, you know, all that was part of my search. Um, you were brave in because you 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 know you would have been throwing away the big bucks. I did throw away the big bucks. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And then yeah, and, and but like to parents, that's what the hell are you doing? Oh, they 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 really yelled at me. And uh, are you an only child? Uh, no, I have a no. sister who's okay. uh, very successful. She's in academia. Um, Is she older than a, you? Two years younger. Okay, so she's a MacArthur Genius Grant winner. Okay, and, great. Uh, you know, National Academy of Sciences. You had, you had, you, you, at least your parents passed on good genes. Uh, to you. Well, yeah. I am thankful to them for yeah. education and whatever they. Were you were still involved in this sort of higher order thinking at that stage, or was that what was that it a was, catalyst? To it was get something you? in me that was driving me to find whatever it was that I was supposed to do with my life. I just knew somehow I couldn't I couldn't explain it at that time. I just knew there was something I was supposed to be doing with my life and I had this burning desire to find it. I, I've sort of found it over time. I, I know now that I'm doing the thing I'm supposed to be doing with my life. Yeah. You know, which to me is is, is the, one of the greatest feelings on the planet. Yeah. To sort of it walk is. In, in your feet knowing you're on the right path. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I wandered for a very long time and did lots How of How long things. have you been feeling like that? Like with like pure surety for 10 of the years I've been Great. in the school okay. um, but for when I first found the schools I'll explain how I found the school I, I, I did a bunch of things I became a Buddhist I did a bunch of stuff but I was in a bookstore and by then I would at least learned to follow my intuition and in this bookstore it was like my hand shot down on this table and I picked up this book and I opened it up and I read the first couple of pages and my whole body started shaking wow and what's the name like of the book A Stellar Man by a this guy man. Dario Salas Summer um, he goes by John Baines that's his book name and I read the first couple of pages, and, and literally everything inside me started shaking. And I took the book home, and I read it in a day. Wow, I must uh, get it. And uh, I'll, I'll share it with you. And uh, and then I 
got a, there was a second book to it. I read that in a day, and there was a number at the back. And I remember calling that number and saying, "Oh my God, I read these books." And the voice <laughs> on the other other end, who's, a, who's now a mentor of mine, was like, "And you feel like you you've heard this before?" And I was like, "Yes, oh wow. my God!" And and uh, I found out about this meeting, and I you know went there, and I immediately felt like this was what I was supposed to be doing. Yeah. I, I couldn't explain it. I just knew that somehow I was on the right path in my wow. life. And, um, absolutely. Now I quite like, I mean, I've read yeah. Eckhart Stolle yeah. stuff and Power Now. I thought yep. it was a great book. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I did a bit of, uh, a bit of that yep. self-help, I guess. It's not, that's not a really nice name for it. it. I mean, it's sort it's, of the watered down side of it. The thing yeah. about Eckhart Tolle is that he sort of woke up one day on a park bench, you know, yeah. so he doesn't actually say, this is how you, this is what you do. Yeah. <laughs> like, this yeah. is how you do it. He's actually pretty good at explaining the, the feeling of being more conscious and explaining mm. the pain body and the feeling body and yeah. all that stuff but he doesn't say what do you do yeah. um, and how, what are the steps that you take to actually awaken yeah. um, whereas this work really does it's a step by step guide to sort of awaken if you put yourself through it and do the stuff you're gonna you're gonna get well, I'll definitely have to read that and uh, we'll, I'll, I'll try and post it on the uh, blurb sure. for the uh, podcast so that people can find it at the end I wanted to talk a little bit about I'm Facebook pals mm-hmm. with you, and you, you you do spend a lot of your time yeah. tackling the race issue yeah. in America mm-hmm. as it is now. And I mean, I think it's <laughs> fucking terrible. It's, it's yeah, I mean, I'm an Irish guy here. So, uh, <laughs> the guns and the race thing are the two things I smack my head most. Yeah. Most people back home just yeah. can't understand it. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about because I, I also think you do it in a very intelligent way, and you do it in a way that's not shrieky give me your feeling on on you know how that was your mm-hmm. your background affected that i, I got mm-hmm. wind mm-hmm. sort of sense of that from mm-hmm. some of your earlier comments mm-hmm. sure uh let's start with this i mean black lives matter is, is huge right now mm-hmm. and the idea that uh you know african americans just statistically just look at statistics and it's undeniable that yeah. african americans are are shot beaten incarcerated <laughs> jailed executed. i mean <laughs> executed Way more, you know, for yeah. similar offenses than than anyone else, mm. uh, you know, and that's just that's a pure fact. Yeah. Um, whether or not people choose to admit that is is part yeah. is why we have a debate, yeah. which there shouldn't even be a, yeah. be a debate. When you, when you say Black Lives Matter, the fact that someone even has anything else to say is is crazy to me. But I use it as a segue to say that when I was eleven, I went with my grandmother to Dallas, Texas, and where uh, I lived for uh, a bit. Uh, <laughs> so obviously, you know, in the early '80s in Dallas, mm. Mm. my my grandmother was a medical technologist. Was at a conference that we were staying at, uh, not an amazingly nice hotel, but obviously a hotel that was a little too nice for us, according to some people. Really? So I was walking into my own room by myself, and I, I out of the corner of my eye, I do remember someone walking by, yeah, and in, down the other hallway, and I guess that person must have felt like I was breaking in, of course, because I was a young black man. You know, but you were 11. 11. Yeah. But, you know, Tamir Rice was Tamir Rice, 12. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, to a certain person, I yeah, must yeah, have yeah. looked like 25, yeah. right? And so uh, my grandmother was actually, actually, my grandmother was in the room, thank God, because uh, maybe about 10 minutes later, I think I got undressed and to go to the pool, which we were on the first floor and there's a pool yeah. out there. And when I opened the door towards the pool, yeah. like eight cops were there with their guns drawn, like, oh my God, I'll kill you. You know, I mean, really. I crap my pants. Yeah. I'm like, what? What did I do? And you know, and thank God I didn't have a wallet in my hand or yeah. or, 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 or uh, a, a water comb pistol or a water pistol. 
or you know moved too quickly or yeah, anything, yeah. or I might not be here yeah. having this conversation with you yeah. today. And I was just like, what? Yeah. And, I, and then luckily my grandmother was there, and I was like, my grandmother's here, and we're here together. And they went in, and they checked everything out, and okay, okay, okay. But that's, how can I not be so passionate about that? I almost died. <laughs> you know, and the thing is, you know, and I'm a relatively preppy kid from yeah. the suburbs. Yeah. And I've been at police gunpoint three times in my life for really? no reason. So this is a real issue. I can, <laughs> I can tell you that I have never been a police. Of course not. None and I probably have. have. <laughs> you know, I mean, and all my black friends have. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. It's 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 so obvious. You know, we just have different. I, I would say some of the times I might have been at police well, gunpoint, they did, the police didn't have guns. Exactly. <laughs> there we go. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's just you know, we, we live in two Americas, yeah. and, and and that's such a fact. And I, mm. I I know lots of friends from all different you know race, yeah. religions, creeds, classes, and you know when we're honest with each other, mm. we live in different societies, yeah. even if we live in the same neighborhood. I think it's just important to acknowledge that, mm. and that's the we've got to like have that discussion on a real level and not deny. I lived it. in Dallas for about a year. Uh, I didn't really agree with me, uh, but I, I did want to see the upfrontness of it, mm-hmm. and it's definitely upfront. Oh yeah, but I find it nearly worse because there's a stupidity that goes with mm-hmm. it. There's a gun stupidity yeah. in Texas. Yeah. Their, their 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 rationalization for guns is kind of hysterical. <laughs> yeah. But I find it worse up here because in places like Boston and even in New York, denial. it's still – well, it's not even denial. It's it's what Trump's allowing to come out now. Yes. It's the fact that people are thinking but exactly. not saying. Well, that's what I mean. That's what I mean by the yeah. sort of denial of yeah. it. It's like, you know – And I prefer to have the debate. With the person who's mm-hmm. able to oh, be yeah. upfront about I agree. it, because I'm not going to hit them. I agree, but I will have. Yeah. I prefer them to not be this insidious, mm-hmm. hidden mm-hmm. racism is the worst type. I, I think so. Thank goodness I do all the spiritual work, frankly, because <laughs> you know the idea that this is back to statistics. You know, one in ten white people will, will literally say that they think black people are inferior, <laughs> and four in ten say that you know we're not doing well just because we're lazier. You know, and, yeah, and that's yeah. just people who actually admit it. So this idea, but not that, as lazy as Mexicans. No, of course not. <laughs> you know, and so the idea, and this is this is a challenge for as you grow up African American, you read sort of the literature, sort of never knowing who might have some bias and who might yeah. not. A lot of people just shut down and say, "Well, you know, I just don't. I'm not going to deal with them." You know, because it's yeah. like you know, there's the thinking and not say it, mm. and then there's the real subconscious stuff mm. that, where it's like you don't even know it. You know, mm. you cross the street on a you know on a dark night, but you would never say, "No, no, not me." Yeah, you know, I'm not racist. So there's so many levels to yeah. it. And trying to navigate that as an African American is extremely challenging yeah. <laughs> because you just ne- you never know at what level you're dealing with. I was at a, a very prominent firm, one of the top four digital companies right now, um, probably top two. I was at a half day workshop where I saw nine white males between the ages of thirty and forty five speak at me for you know three and a half hours, right. four hours, and I'm just thinking. Doesn't anyone even notice this? Yeah, it's yeah. like being white yeah. male is sort of the norm. Even yeah. if you saw nine white women talk to yeah. you in yeah. four hours, someone would go, "What's up with all the women?" Yeah, you know. Yeah, and, and exactly. Yeah, if you exactly. definitely saw, you know, nine black people yeah. talk to you, you'd be like, "Why is it all black?" But why doesn't anyone think <laughs> there's nine white guys? Like, why isn't that strange? Yeah. You know, because there's sort of whiteness and maleness is sort of the norm yeah. uh, for an authority, yeah. and that all sits embedded in our subconscious. Yeah. Which is why we don't think it's odd yeah. when we create these kinds of sessions, which is why we're hiring. That sense of authority sort of is like, oh, that person seems like he's well qualified. The <laughs> diamond in the rough, because we're talking mainly about creative industries. Mm-hmm. Yep. But when you look at music, oh, yeah. 
Of course. And again, you know, coming as an Ar- speaking mm-hmm. as an Irish guy, one yeah. of people say, "How come the Irish have so many playwrights and writers yeah. and poets?" Suffer. Well, yeah, people pick up the <laughs> yeah, pen exactly. and they write yeah. music, yeah. and that goes all the way of back course. to slavery, of and course. you know, yeah. and and yet you look at these other industries like acting. Mm-hmm. We have a problem in Hollywood. We have a problem right. in advertising, right. which is white man domain right. exactly. and white business man. But the music yeah. business, because it's, mm-hmm. I guess you can pick up a guitar and you can write yeah. and you can, well, even now you can yeah. put it out on the internet yeah. and hit, be hit overnight. Music affects us differently. We don't really usually, like uh, mostly see the musicians. <laughs> like most of the time we're listening to music listening to we, it, yeah. we rate it for its, yeah. its musicianship, right? Whereas film, you know, we're seeing that and the stories we choose to see are almost the same story over and over again. I mean, mm. it's usually white male saves the world, gets the woman. You know, yeah. whether that's a superhero story, yeah. whether that's a, you know, I mean, yeah. it's a story that's sort of yeah. that story yeah. that Hollywood tells over and over again. Yeah. Because that's a very safe story and a story we're yes. used to. And it, we, no, black we, people are in films because they're black. My, <laughs> my friend Craig Damrauer, who yeah. was also a guest on Find Which Only Be, was, is doing a great project called All the Black People in Citizen Kane. Mm. Oh my God. And basically what it is, basically what he's doing is he's taking every frame of the whole movie right. and he's white outing everything except the black people. Wow. And there's something like 22 over two wow. hours. So all you see is the sound wow. and a white screen and then occasionally wow. a, like one's a taxi <laughs> driver yeah, and there's three bands. I can only imagine and, yeah. like they're black people in it's, Citizen Kane. It's a amazing project that he's doing and of course you yeah. know he, he, it's a labor of love and it's yeah. taking forever to do but yeah. it's a great it's a great idea so let's yeah. just cross both of those mm-hmm. wires now and mm-hmm. say we have a need to be more present and conscious in mm-hmm. the world coupled with I think probably a stalled a stalled state of affairs when it comes to racism and diversity mm-hmm. or a Especially or in reverse yeah I was going to say or in say reverse it, it might be that it's being Make, we're, we're more aware of it because everyone has a phone a that's a camera you know we're more aware of it but also there's a backlash to to black president yeah I mean of course of so, course yeah know. I mean a lot of it probably just come I down to that a significant number I, I saw some statistic that it's like a significant number of white people actually think that you know um, prejudice against white people is stronger than against black people it's like 40 <laughs> percent something well, like it's well. like a, it's like a big number <laughs> how does the apart from maybe giving you possibly a cooler mind, which is critical, yeah. I guess, how does the awareness side of things work with that? Well, I think you know when you say that I'm able to sort of stay calm and kind of have have these conversations, I have you know sort of detached myself from the anger. Right? There's a lot of yes. anger. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, there's there. I mean, that police incident hurt. The first Which time, one? Uh, exactly. The first time, you know, when I was a little kid, I remember. Oh, your one. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my yeah, 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 yeah. The one I was talking about. Eleven, um, yeah. Yeah, I remember the first time, you know, I realized I was black and that was inferior. You know, I remember uh, talking to a little girl in a store and she hid when I just wanted to say hi. And she's like, I'm not allowed to talk to black people. Wow. And I had to understand what that meant. Out of the math of And babes. it meant that I was, like, somehow worse than yeah. other people. Yeah, And yeah. that, you know, and then, you know, obviously we talk about the indoctrination, mm. especially, t- you know, <laughs> 70s TV where, it's, again, black people are always pimps or yeah, prostitutes yeah, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. You know, I could never be the $6 million man. I could no. never be anybody like that. Huggy you know, Bear. Huggy was, Bear was, yeah. a, you know, yeah, he was the only be, one. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, that stuff sits inside you. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of my work, actually, has been to overcome the inferiority complex that's imposed upon African Americans in the society because um, that was deep in my subconscious. Yeah. And a lot of the anger 
comes out of that because there's sort of two ways you deal with that inferiority complex. Mm-hmm. There is anger, like fuck you, I'm not, you know, yeah. I'm not less than you. Yeah. Or there's subservience, you know, or or you become you know, yeah, uh, sort up. of a field slave, house slave mentality, yeah, yeah. Um, which uh, Malcolm X talked about a lot. Yeah. Once you can free yourself of that mental slavery, uh, as Bob Marley said, you can be free inside, internally free, and be able just to talk about what it is yeah. without all your triggers getting pulled. Um, and so I have a sense of freedom, not just from that, because that's just one aspect of, of my conditioning, but it's a big aspect of my conditioning. Yeah. So, so it lets me be, be more free in life about yeah. everything. I can't see the way out of it. How, how do we get out of this, apart from maybe everyone becoming really deep into, into mm-hmm. spirituality and meditation, which ain't going to happen? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, gen- obviously generationally things are changing, right? I live a life that my parents, grandparents could never have lived. So yeah. things are changing generationally. Um, while things are still slowly. challenging, they're changing incredibly slowly. Um, not to say I'm okay with that. I just have to acknowledge that, right? Yeah. That, you know, like my, my yeah, grandmother, yeah. where she passed away, looked at my life and was astonished that I could be... Yeah. In, in the Mad Men days, you know, I'd have been you know, running the elevator no matter how smart yeah. I was. You know, yeah. it's like, so, and I have to, have to acknowledge that. Yeah. And a lot of those guys running the elevator were probably as smart as me and just yeah. had, didn't have a shot. Not to say I'm super smart, I'm just saying that. You know, I think you are super smart. I, We've already covered you know, that biography. I yeah, appreciate that and just not lauding myself. That being said, I think racial bias, uh, I call it racial bias rather than saying you're racist, right. is on a spectrum. Some people have more or less, but almost all of us have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Harvard has this really in- interesting in- implicit bias test called the IAT that almost anyone can take. And what you find is that almost everybody has implicit bias. Yeah. And almost all of us have it against black people. Right. Because we've all been conditioned the same way. Yeah. So even I, again, I saw the same TV that everybody else saw, that yeah. black people are pimps and prostitutes yeah. and da da da. So you know, even I sometimes have yeah. to work through my own, you know, yeah, stuff yeah, against yeah. black people. It lives in our subconscious. So mm-hmm. even the most well-meaning person yeah. in a moment of crisis, something like that, yeah. their, their bias may come out. You know, the person who called the police on me when I was 11 and, you know, was moving to mm. the door may not have been an outright racist. Mm. But to that person, because of her conditioning, yeah. she saw someone breaking into yeah. a room. And that's what she saw. So I think no, if it was an eleven-year-old white boy, she wouldn't have done anything. Of course not. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's. I think it's the implicit bias. That's why I don't use words like "you're a racist" or "you're not mm. a racist," because mm. in a sense, we all have racial bias. Some have it more pronounced. Some some people, it's obviously more conscious and, and yeah. willful. For a lot of us, and I include myself in it, yeah. um, it's unconscious. And I think we all have to. That's the conversation we need to have: is that we we all got, you know, created in the same stew of a country that was built on racism. Right. I mean, think about the mental conditioning that had to happen to convince an entire people that they were animals, yeah. and to convince the people who were treating like like animals that they were animals. Yeah, so yeah. you know, they were it, owned. It, yeah. so the people, the owners, got the same conditioning than the ownees. So to sit there and have human beings on a auction block and yeah. to be trading them like cows, everybody there was brainwashed. You yeah, know? and yeah. we're all dealing with the yeah. effects of that brainwashing that exists in our school books, exists yeah. in our you know everything I talked about before. That stuff still exists. And that's only six generations. No, uh, yeah. six, seven generations. It's 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 six generations racism and it's yeah. uh, from from slavery and it's only. I mean, my mother. Oh no, it's still going. It's one yeah, yeah. generation yeah, yeah, from yeah. Jim Crow. I mean, yeah, my mother yeah, wasn't yeah, allowed yeah. to change clothes in a department store yeah. uh, to try on stuff yeah. because she was black. And that's my mom. What is the way out of it? What is the solution? Mm-hmm. 
I do. I mean, I wouldn't be on Facebook having these conversations if yeah. I didn't think conversations led somewhere. Yeah. I mean, I have great friends. I guess that of all races, I and mean, this conversation is a fantastic conversation. Yeah. I think we get there by having that conversation. Mm. I hope we can have a national conversation. Mm. But I think it takes those of us who can have that conversation in a in a moderate way, in a, yeah. in a way, and keep it without all the inflammatory yeah. dialogue on on both sides. Yeah. I think that's super important. And I, and I do believe that conscious awareness, and I, you know, the more we have of that, the more people do introspect and think about themselves. Yeah. Uh, I think things are going to get better. What would be your one thing that you would want to leave somebody, say that eleven-year-old boy? What would you want to say to him now from this part of your life, looking back? Follow your gut. Uh, a lot of people say that. A lot of people say that. Anyway, there's no doubt that one of the biggest gunks on the windshield of life, as you said at the start of this podcast, is racism, and I hope we can clean that one off first. Dave Richardson, it was great. Thank you so much for coming on A Pint with Shoney B, and keep the fight going, brother, and uh, I'll support you as much as I can, and uh, also going to look into this little book of yours. Absolutely. Thanks, Thanks. man. It was fantastic.